Good morning, church. Good to see you this morning. Just a quick commercial before we get started. One of the things that uh, is beautiful about having a body is that we are here for one another. We are here to support one another. Please, 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 if you are sick, if you are going through something, if you need prayer for something, please call the church. At times I look around, I didn't see this person for two weeks or three weeks, and sometimes we can remember and, and we do reach out and call. But it is better that you call, even if the call is just to let us know what's going on because we will pray for you. We also have a ministry called Helping Hands. If someone is coming out of the hospital and they need a meal cooked or something like that, we will do whatever we can to support one another. We're a family. That's what family does. So continue to, to consider that as we move forward. Amen? Our uh, series is going to continue today in Philippians, and the name of the series is Be Encouraged. And as I was thinking about our text today, which is in Philippians chapter 1, starting at verse 27, I, I, I thought about a barbecue that I went to last summer. And at this barbecue, I saw people that I hadn't seen for a very long time. I mean, a long, long time, well over 30 years. Uh, some of them are people that I grew up with, some cousins. And I, I recognized in that time uh, that I was a very different person, and, and so were they. And I started to think about the context in which I knew some of them and the thoughts they may have had of who I am. Uh, so the longest uh, relationships that I had with those people, with some of those people, were back when I was like in the third grade. And and when I was in the third grade, my sister was in the second grade. Uh, I have a bunch of siblings, but she and I and a crew of our friends would walk to school together. And uh, when we walked to school together, the school was about five blocks away, and it was maybe I don't know eight of us or. 10 of us, so we're six, seven, eight years old. It was like the little rascals. So we're on our way to school. And if you've ever uh, spent time in, in New York, particularly in the city, uh, one of the things that is a very distinct smell of, of New York is uh, the stands where they have the big hot pretzels. So, so you, you smell those pretzels down the block, and, and it entices you to go and buy one of those pretzels. Well, the route to school went past a, press, a pretzel factory. It, it, it was actually the factory that would make the pretzels, and those vendors would come and buy the pretzels uh, and then go to the city or wherever they were going. So on our way to school, uh, if you had the money, you could buy a pretzel. And, and those pretzels were 10 cent. Um, so we're going back to the 70s. Uh, sometimes I had 10 cent, and sometimes I didn't, just like the other people that I was with. So when we didn't have 10 cent, 
and still wanted a pretzel, we, we were going to get a pretzel. So, so what we would do is when they come out with, I mean, baskets full of pretzels, we'd run and grab a pretzel and run to school. And, uh, you know, some people got pretzels, some people didn't. You know, those are big pretzels we'd share or whatnot. And, and just being um, childish in the way sin even works. Now, those guys at the pretzel factory, they, they could have caught us. Um, but, you know, it was almost kind of like a game. But the very next day, if we had 10 cents, We'd go to that same place and buy a pretzel. So going back to um, how our life uh, changes and the people that we know, the people that I hung out with in that season that we would swipe pretzels were people that I hung out with probably up until my early 20s, um, off and on. And, And it developed from swiping pretzels to uh, engaging in other things, uh, going down a path that was not the right path. So at some point, I became a believer uh, at the age 23. And one of the things that you have to do as a believer is break ties with unbelievers. You're not better than them. Um, Nothing uh, uh, says, hey, don't associate with them anymore. The problem is you're new. Your desires have changed. Everything about you has changed. And, and, And one of the things that takes place naturally is you start gravitating to different people, like the church. And um, so in that gap and as we've gotten older and we separated and you come back together, now you're in this place where I'm meeting you again. But the context you know me from is a pretzel swiper and worse. We, we won't talk about the worst, but you could just imagine what that elevates to of your snatching pretzels when you ate. So we'll leave it there. Let's go to the text. Would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Again, we're in Philippians chapter 1, continuing our series. I'll be reading from verse 27 to verse 30, which is the end of the chapter. And it reads this way. Just one thing. As a citizen of heaven, live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or am absent, I will hear about you that you are standing firm in one spirit, in one accord, contending together for the faith of the gospel, not being frightened in any way by your opponents. This is a sign of of destruction for them, but of your salvation. And this is from God. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer with him. 
since you are engaged in the same struggle that you saw I had and now hear that I have. Father, we, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, uh, that this letter is addressed to the saints, the, the elders and deacons of the church. We are called your saints. And, and here it, it says that we are citizens of heaven. That is so encouraging, Lord. We ask, Father, that this day you would so do a work in our hearts, Lord, recognizing that a citizen of heaven has rights, but also responsibilities. Would you teach us that this day, Lord? Would we leave here different than we came in? We come with that expectancy knowing that your word never returns to you void, but accomplishes what you send it to do. So we so delight in your word. We come here to spend that time with you and to receive our daily bread. Thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Hey, um, citizens of heaven, the, the, the question becomes, what is actually a life worthy of the gospel of Christ? See, because all of those things that we read on that list, these are very, the very same issues that the enemy will choose to attack us in. Our position in Christ as citizens of heaven, our unity in the body, and another point of attack is always going to be our fears. It says, um, just one thing, as a citizen of heaven, Live your life worthy of the gospel of Christ. As a citizen of heaven, one of the things the enemy will tell you is, you're no citizen of heaven. You're here. You're here and look at all the stuff that you're going through here. If this is heaven, why would you want it? Well, we have dual citizenship because yes we are earth born we we are here but the minute you were saved you were a citizen of heaven a matter of fact it tells us in ephesians 2 6 he also raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in christ jesus Because we deal with things in the here and now, we should not then look at this scripture and say, well, that's not true for me. We, we, we are here but just a season. And because God has told us you are citizens of heaven, we are to live our lives in a manner that shows the worth of the gospel. What, what, what do I mean by that? 
What I'm saying to you is, because you're a citizen of heaven, because you're called a saint, because you are the redeemed, because you are God's ambassadors, when you make that declaration, because God has done that in your life, people are looking at your life. And, and it should reflect what it means to be a child of God. If I'm looking at your life and it looks no different than the world, why, why would I even want anything that resembles that? We're required to live in a way where we are easily identifiable. God doesn't have any secret agents on secret missions. No, if you are a believer, you, you are to represent yourself in that way. What has changed in your life since you've become a believer? Everything. You have received the Holy Spirit of God. The Bible tells us that you are not, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If, in fact, the spirit of God dwells in you. The spirit of God dwells in his people. We are his holy temple. Something has had to change. That looks different than people that don't have the Holy Spirit. You have God's word. That's why we're here this morning, to continue to have our deposits of God's word. John 17, 17 says, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. We know that the truth is what sets us free. Here it says, sanctify them in the truth which means take them through the process of being a pretzel snatcher to looking like Jesus. Right? That, that, that's a process. Your destiny has changed. Your destiny has changed, which means you're a citizen of heaven. Because you're a citizen of heaven, your goals, your aims, all of those things have changed. Your friends have changed. We just read where it says, standing firm in one spirit and one accord. What you are willing to fight for has changed. It said, contending together for the faith of the gospel. Contending means defend it. Fight for the faith. So in that same context of where I grew up, we would have fights, right? I grew up in Brooklyn, the oldest of eight children, six boys, and we would have physical fights with people. Um, you know what the 
surrounding every kind of fight was fighting for respect. In some shape, form, or fashion, it boiled down to fighting for respect. You cannot cross a certain line because it just may get violent. Even verbal altercations are, in a way, fighting for respect, right? So now we are fighting for something else. We are contending for the faith. We are defending what we believe. The meaning of life has changed. Before, everything in life was about us. Now, as we discovered last week, to live, Christ. To die, gain. That's what life is about for the believer. Well, these are the very areas where you're going to be attacked. Your position in Christ, your unity with the body, and your fear. What are the tactics of the enemy? Well, one of the tactics of the enemy is keeping you busy doing the wrong things. If I could just get you to waste time and spend your energies on things that don't matter, I got you. If I could keep your mind on earthly things that have no benefit when you are a citizen of heaven, I got you. When I can continue to bring temptation after temptation to have you believe in your heart, I can have heaven on earth. No, there's just some things that you're not going to have on earth is going to be when you get to heaven. And, and at the same time, there are things on earth to enjoy. We're supposed to enjoy life but not to the degree where it consumes our whole life and now we find ourselves in trouble. L let, me, let me give you an example like this. I cannot sleep without my buckwheat pillow. So, so a buckwheat pillow, if you pillow fight with somebody and you hit them with that pillow, you just threw a brick at them. It's, 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 a, it's a very heavy pillow. So anytime I go to a hotel, I have to bring my pillow because I'm not going to get a good night's sleep. And, and I, I really don't, I try not to forget my pillow. But if I'm going to a hotel and I start bringing couches and lamps and saying I need a different bed, and start moving stuff out of the hotel room that I don't want in the room, I'm setting up shop somewhere temporary, as if it's permanent. Now, if I do that in a hotel room, you call me a fool. Meanwhile, people are doing that with their lives all the time. You are here for a minute. 
and you're setting up shop here as if this is home, but actually it's a short stay. The scriptures tell us, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth because here we got rust, we got thieves, pretzel snatchers, we got moths. We, we don't have those things in heaven. It says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where none of those things will be destroyed. And where you choose to store your stuff up, that's where your heart is. It's the evidence of really what's your heart all about. So we have to remember our position. We are citizens of heaven. The, the next thing this text talks about is isolation. It, it, it talks about Fighting for unity. It says, stand firm in one spirit, in one accord. We often isolate. And we isolate the most when we need the most help. That's why I just had to make that announcement, like if you're sick or going through something, call the church. We get uh, whatever we have going on in our lives, and then we separate. That's exactly what the enemy wants us to do. We have to fight for unity. Proverbs 18.1 tells us, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desires. He breaks out against all sound judgment. In other words, where you need counsel, where you need support, where you need a friend, you step back and you go into your little closet and stay alone. We, we have to continue together. And we have to fight for the same thing. We have to fight for the same thing because what often happens is people don't keep the main thing the main thing. So, so, so they'll come to church, and we could be sowing into their lives, and I say one thing that they feel a certain way about. Usually the thing they probably need to listen to the most. That, that, that's what they come at you with. And now all of a sudden... They didn't keep the main thing the main thing. This is some little issue on the side or whatever. And then they start to withdraw. We, we have to fight for the same thing. Here, contending for the faith is talking about fighting for the gospel's sake. For one another. We come to church because we need to be reminded, because we have tendencies to forget. We have parts of our lives that we're not applying the gospel truth. We have to fight for that. Guess where the wrestling starts? Within. You cannot contend for the faith 
You cannot defend the faith unless you first resolve that the Bible is God's word. This text tells us to contend for the faith. This is scripture that says, therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. You know what many of us take that to be? Having an altar call, someone raising their hand, walking an aisle in front of others, and us applauding that they just gave their life to the Lord. Yes, in a sense, that's an acknowledgement before others that you want God to have come into your life. But often people do that out of emotionalism or just the moment. If that happens, you should see them the next week, if not here in another church. Or you should start seeing some change in their life over a period of time. What that really is speaking of is, what's your life look like? What's your speech looks like? Is, is, are your actions in your life displaying Jesus? He said, Paul said to them, I want to hear about you standing firm. It's easy to stand firm when there's nothing coming against you. So it's really all about when these threats come, when we're challenged, when our faith uh, needs to be spoken, when someone is saying something crazy, that, that you know that that's going to lead them to hell if they stay on that path. We're not defending the faith as if we need to defend God. No, God's our defender. What we are stating is, I know what God has done in my life. You're on the wrong track. The Bible says, and if you don't believe the Bible, my life has changed. I was a pretzel snatcher, but I'm not anymore. That is defending the faith. We, we need to know what we believe. We are called to, in one spirit, in one accord, contend together for the faith of the gospel. A big part of the problem is although we say I believe the Bible is the word of God. We use other things as our criteria, often on the same level as the Bible. That's where the problem comes in. There are churches that do that. They use scripture, but they also use tradition. We, we do that sometimes. Well, what we used to do, and 
I think the right way is, but there'll be no biblical basis for what they're saying. When we use tradition in that way, because we learned it, because we grew up that way, that doesn't make it right. I heard this story about this little girl asking her mother, Mommy, every time I see you make a roast, you cut off a little bit of the back. Why do you do that? And the mother said, I, I've always watched my mother do that, so I've always done that. Go ask your grandmother. So she went to her grandmother's house and said, Grandma, um, Mommy cuts off a little bit of the roast before she puts it in the pot to cook it. Why does she do that? She said, well, I've always saw my mother do that, so maybe she saw me do that, and that's why she do it. I don't even know why. Go ask your great-grandmother. So she went to great-grandma's house and asked the same question, and great-grandma said, I don't know why your grandmother does that, and I don't know why your mother does that. I was cutting off the back of the roast because my pot was too small, and it... Look what they wasted because of tradition. So if we allow tradition, when we're talking about our spiritual health, but as we turn the pages of Scripture, we don't find that, then we need to question that. It certainly can't be on par with Scripture. Jesus, time and time again, said to the Pharisees, you're allowing the traditions of men to, to, to actually supersede what the word of God says and what the true intention was. That's a dangerous thing. But it's not only scripture. People also use reason. Well, I think. Often, people ask questions and then they preface it, well, I think, if I ask you a question, like I need some advice, and you say, well, I think, I'm like, okay, thanks for that suggestion. I'd much rather hear the Bible says, or the biblical principle, principle behind this is, but often we use reason. Not only do we use Tradition and reason, we use experience. Something that happened to me to verify in a spiritual context its validity. I, I really don't care about your personal experience. It's, it's not that your personal experience isn't important, but you can't hold that on par with the Bible. We have to be very careful with these things. Tradition and experience and reason are all factors and should factor into the way that we think. Of, of course they should. But when the Protestant Reformation came and they said scripture alone Sola Scriptura, 
that means that the Bible is the source of authority. That it is the sole infallible source of authority. I was talking to one of the leaders and they made a statement that said it's sola scriptura, not meaning solo scriptura. Meaning it's, it's not only the Bible, but the Bible is the authority. We can appreciate traditions from the church. But ultimately, I can't trust to tradition over the word of God. We can appreciate God's gift of reason, but reason is corrupted by the fall and by sin. I can understand even our human experiences and the realness of it, but it has no authority over God's word. This is a tactic that the enemy uses. So if we are going to contend for the faith, first and foremost, in our own hearts and mind, we have to say to ourselves, is the Bible above everything else when we think about what truth is and where truth comes from. And all those other things, tradition and reason and experience have to be put up against the scripture. That is a tactic from the enemy. The last tactic that I wanna express here is the term told, uh, the, the scripture told us not to be frightened in any way by your opponents. I read a quote that said, timidity is an impediment on the path of moral progress. It arises from distrust in God. Meaning fear will keep you from growing. And, and it will keep you from growing and the reason we fear things is because we're not trusting in God. It tells us here that don't be afraid of your opponents. What opponents are we afraid of? We are afraid of opponents that we think are too big for us to handle. If we think we can handle the situation, we're not scared. I remember this honeymooners episode where I think Ralph and Norton were shooting pool or something like that. And this little guy was there. I haven't watched the episode in a long time, but some way there was a disagreement. And the little guy said to Ralph, I'm going to get my friend Harvey. And Ralph said, Harvey, go and get Harvey. Because he's looking at the size of this guy and a name like Harvey, you're not expecting anybody other than the size of that guy. Well, when Harvey came and he was about the size of Tyshawn, Ralph Crandon started stuttering. 
We get scared when we believe this is bigger than me. I can't handle this situation. Well, that's reason to be scared if you're not a child of God. But as God's children, I, I know who has my back. I know who's in me. I know who walks before me. I know who fights my battles. This um, text is so good because then it leads to this. For it has been granted to you on Christ's behalf, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are engaged in the same struggles that you saw I had and now hear that I have. This, Paul, this, this letter is written by Paul, who's in prison, and he's saying, you, you know what I'm dealing with at the time. But to be a believer, you need to know that you are not only to believe, but also to suffer. We, we like the believe part. We, we want nothing to do with suffering. What, what we need to recognize is both are a gift. Suffering is a gift. Suffering is a gift. It is in suffering that we grow. It is in suffering that we realize our limitations. It is suffering that we cry out to God. It is suffering that we could put our hope in God. It is where we build our muscle. It's how we become more like Christ. And, and although it's done in a natural way, through people, through circumstances, through self-destruction, God uses all of those things. It is wicked men and their desires that led Jesus to the cross. He went willingly, and this was ordained by God before the foundation of the world. Every single thing we go through when it comes to suffering, God uses it for his people. God uses it for their benefit and for his glory. Your position is a heavenly position as a believer. Your call is to unity. In unity, we are called to fight the right fight, contending for the faith. And it is a gift and a privilege to suffer as God's people. Paul was saying this from a place of suffering in that very moment and had great joy in all that he was doing and wanting to encourage those in the church to share in that joy. Someone here could be suffering. 
Someone here could have broken fellowship and not been amongst the saints for some time and been isolated and been a little beat up. We're going to, um, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask the leaders to come forward. We want to spend some time just praying for individuals here. Maybe those that have walked away and isolated themselves and spent a season alone and God maybe has drawn them back this day to the church. Jesse, would you come up also, please? Maybe this is the first time you are hearing that Christ, who suffered for us, has risen from the grave and is at the right hand of the Father. And he went through that for you and I. You need to make things right with him. Repent and accept his free gift of grace. Because if not, you have reason to be scared. If not, you are isolated no matter who else you have around you. They can help you but so much. If, if you don't know him, everything in your life is about you and self. So whether that is your case, and if it is, ask one of these leaders to pray with you. Repent of your sin and accept the free gift of grace. Maybe you just need to be strengthened and encouraged. But you need to say, Lord, help me. The Bible tells us to let the elders lay hands on you and pray for you when you were sick. And that you would be healed. That, that, that could be sickness in the mind and heart and emotions. That could be a, a situation that needs to be prayed on. But let's take a few minutes while the worship team sings to come and lay our petitions to the Lord.